my policy for myself has been to always buy homes that I would be willing to live in myself. And I think that's a huge part of it is that because part of my dream is that maybe I end up leaving Oklahoma City and living in Spain for a year, but maybe Oklahoma City is my home base and then I come home for six months and then I go somewhere else. And if I happen to have a rental property open, I can just hop right in. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, guys, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, the number one podcast geared towards educating investors and entrepreneurs who want to break into the U.S. market and start buying cash-flowing deals. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, as you know, it is my job to explore, dissect, and interview the cream of the crop when it comes to real estate investing here in the United States. And the reason that I do that is so I can educate you guys, so you guys can go out and make the right decisions when it comes to investing for cash flow to create long-term wealth and financial freedom. If you are new to this show, then welcome. I welcome you to this show and I encourage you to go back and start from the beginning and work your way through each and every episode and listen to the incredible content that my guests have given to this show. You can find this show on all the platforms, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you podcast, I will be. Remember to hit subscribe and each and every week you'll be notified when the latest cracking episode is launched. Before we dive into today's show and I introduce you to the cracking entrepreneur, remember that I do have a free ebook. And if you want to get your hands on this free ebook, it is pretty simple. Firstly, all you need to do is jump on iTunes and leave the show a review. It helps to show iTunes that we're creating an awesome community of entrepreneurs who want to learn more about investing here in the United States. Once you've left that comment, on iTunes, shoot me a screenshot of that comment to info, that's I-N-F-O at rsnpropertygroup.com. And in return, I will send you my brand spanking new ebook called The Art and Science of Raising Capital Like a Pro, The 4P Rule. And it is the book, a very simple ebook, which is set up to change your mindset about the benefits of raising capital to start going out and getting more deals done. And the four Ps are pretty simple. It is professionalism. It is pitch practice and patience. Those four Ps are the things that I've seen in myself and in other successful syndicators who go out and raise capital successfully. Remember, if you want to get your hands on this free ebook, jump on iTunes, leave the show a five-star review, then shoot me the screenshot at info at rsnpropertygroup.com. Also, remember, spots are filling up really quickly in my mentorship program here in 2017. And if you want to start learning about how to successfully close on your first multifamily deal, then this mentorship program is for you. I walk you through the A to Z of multifamily investing, from analyzing and choosing the right markets, to building your right team, to close how to close on a deal and obtain the best financing. And to top it all off, I give you the tools to start raising capital successfully as a newbie so you can get more deals done and you can grow your net worth. I help you establish your inner key person of influence and help you create a cracking personal brand. If you are interested in taking that next step and you want to get involved in my mentorship program, it's pretty easy. Again, shoot me an email at info, the I-N-F-O at rsnpropertygroup.com and put in the subject line, mentorship 
program. Okay, lastly, if you do have any comments or feedback for this show, I love hearing from my loyal listeners. And the easiest way you can do that is jump on my website at rsnpropertygroup.com forward slash podcast. And remember to leave some comments in the show section of any of the shows that you do like. I love hearing from you guys. It helps me create an even better show and it helps me motivate to you know create, giving you the best content that I possibly can so you guys can go out there and start successfully investing here in the United States. All right, guys, let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I'm super pumped to have with me Kathleen Shannon, who is the host or the co-host of the top-ranked podcast on iTunes, Being Boss Podcast, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. Kathleen's expertise is in personal branding and business coaching. She lives in Oklahoma City with her husband and their son, Fox, but she's also a serial entrepreneur and a real estate investor. So without further ado, let's get her out here. G'day, Kathleen. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. This is a topic I've been wanting to talk about, but haven't had anywhere to chat about real estate investing. So I'm super stoked to be on your show. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I wanted to just give the background for all the listeners out there. I know we just did it a little bit offline, but uh, a couple of months ago, my fiance, Erica, was in the bathroom getting ready. I think we were going out to dinner or something. She loves listening to the Bean Boss podcast. Uh, and for all those people who, out there who don't, who don't know who, what the Bean Boss podcast is, please jump on iTunes and check it out. She ran out of the bathroom with her curling iron in hand and said, Reed, Kathleen wants to be on a real estate podcast. She needs to be on your podcast. So hence, I reached out to you. And two months later, here we are talking or going to talk about real estate. So it's pretty, pretty awesome uh, scenario of, of events. But um, without, you know, before we dive into the nuts and bolts of today's show, do you want to elaborate a little bit more on your background, Kathleen? And for all those people who do live under a rock, uh, the, the Being Boss uh, podcast, <laughs> the, you know, the overall ma- empire that you guys have created over there? Yeah, sure. I mean, it starts with getting an art degree in college. And after I graduated, I worked at an alt weekly newspaper doing graphic design. And from there, about a year later, I was recruited by my sister to work at her advertising agency where she was the creative director, VP. So it was a total nepotism hire, but I definitely earned my keep with my skills. And five years later, I had worked my way up to a senior art director. I was really good at winning gold medals at the Addies, which was the annual um, advertising awards. It felt like prom almost for creatives. Um, so I was I was good at what I did, but I felt the landscape of advertising starting to shift. And at the time, you know, I was so young, I didn't really know the difference between advertising and marketing and branding. And at the same time, I was blogging. So I grew up in a generation or, you know, at the beginning of this time where we were putting everything online. So this was pre-Facebook, pre-MySpace. I had a blog where I was sharing, you know, very dear diary-ish kind of things. But um, I I decided to launch a blog for public consumption 
And it was actually all about remodeling my historical home with my now husband, Jeremy. And so it was very much a lifestyle blog. Um, and whenever we got married in our home, I shared my invitations that I had designed for myself and accidentally created a career or a side hustle in offbeat wedding invitations. So my wedding invitations were inspired by Wes Anderson, the film director, and just really funky and unlike anything that was being produced at the time. And this was also pre-Pinterest and even pre-Etsy when these things weren't just entirely available. So this side hustle ended up becoming my full-time gig. I quit my job in advertising again because I felt like the landscape of advertising was shifting and it wasn't quite what I wanted to be doing even though I did know that I wanted to be the best graphic designer out there that's so, such an interesting story sorry I had to cut you yeah, off yeah no go ahead the best conversations have lots of interruptions <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got so many questions for you because what pre-Etsy, pre-Facebook, pre-MySpace, what are we talking about, early 2000s? Yeah, I mean, I was blogging right at the beginning of college. So that would have been, and that was like live journal blogging, if you remember <laughs> what that is. So that was in the early 2000s. Yep. Um, and then I launched my kind of blog for public consumption, which is now andkathleen.com. That blog still runs and I haven't blogged anything in about a year, but I'm ready to pick it back up. That's a whole other story. But um, I started blogging there probably in 2008. So I had eight years of behind the scenes blogging and, you know, social media um, before I launched the thing. So I launched the thing thinking that it was just kind of a continuation of the blogging I had been doing, just being okay with it being open to anybody. I think my live journal was on private mode where only my friends could see it. So once I moved over to a blog spot, knowing that the whole world could see it, I was shocked the first time I got a comment from a stranger. And I felt like a really big deal whenever my sidebar of followers hit over a hundred. So it felt like a really big deal. And I started blogging and writing and really honing kind of my own personal brand there. So whenever I did quit my job in advertising, I started blogging about freelancing. And this really set me up. I mean, I was the first in my entire family to kind of have this entrepreneurial spirit. And so I started blogging about freelancing. And it was more of a, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm going to process it here in front of everybody and tell you what I'm learning along the way. But with that, I accidentally positioned myself as an expert in freelancing and being a creative entrepreneur. So about a year later, um, I had completely made up my salary in freelance work, which was really exciting for me. And I kind of convinced my sister to quit her job in advertising, which she had now been at her agency for over 13 years to join forces with me. And so that's whenever we created Braid Creative and Consulting. So it was our agency where we're helping personal brands and organizations blend who they are into the work that they do and really position them to be experts. So that's what I, that's what I've been doing for the past five and a half years. And then a couple of years ago, my business bestie is what I call her, Emily, reached out to me to start a podcast. So Emily and I had been working together. We had been sharing some clients. She does web development and helped me with my own web development. And I helped her with her own personal branding. And she also helped me get my e-course online. And 
we, we were having these monthly chats where we were talking shop, talking about what was working, what wasn't working, talking about money and getting really specific about numbers. So we thought, why not start a podcast where we can have these conversations, publish them. It might help our personal brands. It might help our personal businesses. Little did we know it would become an entire empire of its own, which has been amazing. So we've been podcasting for two years and we um, got option to write a book. We've been picked up by a publisher and that will be out in April of 2018. Um, we have big goals for ourselves. So I still have my branding company, Braid Creative with my sister and I have Being Boss, which is my podcast. And on the side, I invest in real estate. You are really a serial entrepreneur, aren't you? And, (laughs) and, and, and that's awesome because one of the questions I have written down here is that how did you, or why did you break the mold from, you know, you probably, a lot of us are very, um, influenced by how we've been been raised, right? And you, you mentioned that you you didn't come from a family of entrepreneurs, you didn't come from a family of investors. So, how did you, in your mind, or in your mind, shift? You know, say I'm going to go and pursue this on on my own, or was it just sort of like a stumbling? You know, you just kept stumbling into things, and things kept happening, and it was just it grew organically out of your blog back in uh, the early 2000s. I think a little bit of both. I think there was a lot of that organic growth and that stumbling that was happening. And then a lot of support from my husband. He really believed in me more than I believed in myself. And so having his support emotionally and financially that we would be okay if I made no money um, was a big part of it. And it's a part that I don't want to overlook or, you know, take for granted. But also, you know, it's funny because and bringing this back to real estate, I remember whenever my older sister, who's seven years older than me and now my business partner, whenever she was entering college, I remember my mom telling my dad that they should just buy a house on campus for her. And I I specifically remember the house that they were looking at. It was on the cutest street. (laughs) It was for sale for $35,000. Wow. And it freaked my dad out. He was like, no way, no how. And so in hindsight, of course... We're all kicking ourselves. Um, But by the time me and my brother, my brother's three, four years older than me, by the time we got to college, my parents had caught on that they were paying a lot in rent for us and why not just buy us a house? So they finally bought us a house that me and my brother lived in together. And then he moved on and I ended up keeping the house with my boyfriend and after I moved out of that house and bought my first house, I was managing that property. And so I think this is the first time I realized, like really kind of understood what investing was. And of course that was real estate, but I have always used that as a metaphor of renting versus owning, even in my own business. And so whenever it came to taking that leap from a day job to working for myself, I thought of it as taking the leap from renting to owning. Right. And I just, I want to rewind just 30 seconds there because we've just found out something interesting. You were actually a real estate investor prior to being the kingpin or or the, the queen pin of your being boss empire right now, right? Yeah. So that yeah. was, that came actually, all that stuff came secondary to actually ownership of your first property. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got my first job working at that newspaper making $24,000 a year. (laughs) And I thought I was just rolling in it. So I went out and bought myself 
an expensive pair of designer jeans for $200. And then I bought myself a house. <laughs> talk to me. Talk to me about, you know, you said $35,000. Where were you buying a house for $35,000 near a institutional education campus? Okay, to be clear, that house for $35,000 is the house that my mom wanted to buy my sister but didn't. Like it freaked my dad out, so we never bought that house. The house that my parents ended up buying for me and my brother was around, I want to say it was $50,000, and they paid, I want to say they paid cash for it. Um, And my family is super middle class. Like I don't want it to sound, I think that this is kind of an interesting part because whenever you... I think whenever most people think about investing in real estate, they think that you have to be really super rich, but I can share more about that in a second. So the house that my parents bought, I want to say that they ended up taking out a mortgage on the current home that they owned to pay cash for this investment property, probably because as an investment property, you have to put more cash down or maybe your interest rate is higher and it just made better sense to pay cash and take out a loan on their primary residence to pay for that. Um, and at the time I didn't know any of this stuff. So I'm just kind of guessing that that's why they made that decision. So they bought that house for me and my brother for $50,000 and it was still really close to campus. And we still actually own that house. And I was just down there looking at it a couple of weeks ago and it was a total nightmare, like the ultimate rental nightmare story where, okay. So after I moved out of it, my mom ended up renting it to, like a couple of sorority girls and then they rented it to their friends and then their friends had a recommendation. And so the house was never actually listed for rent. And about eight people later, there were some meth heads in there cooking meth. I probably should not be saying this out loud on a podcast, but like just really terrible stuff, like nightmares, like people were peeing on the walls, like the stuff that whenever people are scared of investing, (laughs) this is why they're scared. So my brother actually moved back in to rehab the house and it's looking much, much better, but still with a little bit of um, wisdom and a little more sophistication <laughs> in taste behind me, I'm looking at the place like, oh my gosh, did it look like this whenever we lived there? Because at the time, I thought that the wood floors were so charming and sure, there were like some crooked ceilings, but no big deal. It's this cute little house on campus. So, but the fact that my parents own it outright, anyway, that's a whole other story. I won't get too much into that property, but I managed that property. So I didn't actually own it. But after I moved out, I did manage it for the first renters. So I learned how to be a landlord at that point. So and and then I bought my own house with my ex-boyfriend. Um, and that, that just felt like, you know, I'm buying a house. I never thought of it as an investment property. That's so funny. That's it's It's an incredible story because – you, you you hit the nail on the head there. We talk about what fears, um, you know, maybe the uneducated person has about a rental property near campus and meth heads and sorority girls and parties and cigarette stains and peeing on the wall. Like that yeah. is that is the epitome. If you could write a, if you could, you know, do some sort of copy, <laughs> that is the epitome of what like the average person thinks when they think about a rental rental property. Um, so how did you then realize that you needed to go out and buy more houses because it was creating you some sort of passive income? Because that that there in itself is, you've obviously educated yourself, you cut your teeth on management, you cut your teeth on this first property. And I think you said in, in one of the emails to me, you own eight properties right now? Yep, I own eight. That's awesome. So, so here's what happened. 
I had bought my first house with my ex and whenever we split up, I moved up to from Norman, Oklahoma up to Oklahoma City. And this felt like a big move for me. And I rented my apartment because I was just trying to get out fast. So I rented this little duplex for 400 bucks a month and I still own that house with my ex. So I... (laughs) I didn't think I was going to tell this part of the story, but I ended up renting it, this house that I own to my ex, essentially, for about six years until we finally sold it. Yeah. So that's a whole other story. Um, Again, another kind of nightmare story. But in the end, it's all fine. Even like the worst situations, it's all fine and it's all worth it. It's just a little bit of work, just like anything. But um, I got, um, I remember having a conversation with my boyfriend, now husband, Jeremy. I I specifically remember the moment we were going to go see a show up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we were sitting at a Mexican restaurant and he had owned a home as well, like primary residence. And we were planning on moving in together now at this point. And he said, I should just rent out my old house. And so that was the spark. He knew that I had experience in being a landlord and that we could totally do this. And he's a software engineer, electronics engineer by trade. And so he can get real nerdy with a spreadsheet. So I remember we were a little tipsy after this show. We go home. He puts together a spreadsheet and says, if we have seven homes, we can essentially buy a new house every single year on the profit that we're making on these houses. So like this crazy spreadsheet with exponential growth, right? It was insane. And we were, you know, just tipsy and excited and like, yes, let's do this thing. So we rented out his house and we ended up, I was just looking at the dates that was in 2008. We actually didn't end up buying our first investment property together again until 2011. So that was three years, but we really held on to that dream for three years. And it was scary buying that, that first property for pure investment together was a big leap. It almost felt like quitting a day job. I could it imagine. felt like a really big deal. I could imagine. And a lot of people like your dad and other people out there and yourself, when you make, take that first leap of faith, quote unquote, when you buy that first rental property. It's scary because you don't know how it's going to pan out. It's scary when you take the leap of faith, when you jump into full-time you know, creative work. But at the end of the day, if you educate yourself on like what's the worst case scenario that can happen right now, and I'm going to relate this back to real estate investing, if you know your numbers, right, you know what you're going to rent for, you know the mortgage, you know the expenses, then you're th- pretty, you know, you're, you're 95% sure things are going to go okay, right? Like, and, and were you in a situation where you, like you understood the numbers before buying that first investment property with your husband? Yeah, totally. And I want to share that the numbers were not big. So at the time combined, again, I thought I was a millionaire making $24,000 a year. And I have always been good at keeping a budget and making sure that I'm not going into debt. And that's something that's always been very important to me. At this time in 2011, I was probably pulling in a good amount of money. I bet that combined, we were barely making over a hundred thousand. 
maybe a little bit more than that, but not a whole, whole lot of money. I mean, and of course it's all super relative, but we were basically saving once I'll tell you this, once our checking account got up to $25,000, we would then go spend between 15 and 20,000 on a down payment on an investment property. And that's kind of what we've been doing since 2011. That's awesome. That's, uh, that's, and that's incredible. And, but we, we must remind all the listeners out there that you are living in Oklahoma City, right? So we're, <laughs> yes. So, so a $50,000 or $25,000 down payment on a property in, say, New York or Los Angeles, where I live, uh, I don't think it even exists. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, no, yes. no, 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 it doesn't. And so that's actually a really interesting part of the story is being in Oklahoma. And I can elaborate more on that if you'd like. Okay, so I live in Oklahoma City and it is a city that is truly growing. So we got a basketball team. We have the Oklahoma City Thunder and we have a lot of energy and oil here. Um, and so those are kind of a couple of big things that help contribute to the growth of the city. But even on a creative entrepreneur level, I have a tribe of creative friends who are able to afford to take big risks. They're able to afford to open a retail store or a restaurant and, and make it work. And so I also think that the culture of Oklahoma is that we've been working with nothing. And so we've been creating some really cool things out of that because we have the freedom to do that. And with me and my friends, we're kind of responsible for the creative class here. Like it's not going to happen unless we do it. Right. So I think that that, yeah, yeah, it is awesome. So I think that that kind of plays into being able to invest here locally in properties is that we have a growing industry. Housing is still super cheap, but people are wanting to rent. And with the housing crisis, a lot of people aren't able to get loans anymore. So we're able to get loans, which is a whole other story. I have it written down on my notes for you as like getting loans because that's an interesting thing, Um, especially as a small business owner. It's so funny. It's to go off on a tangent, it's easier for my employee to get a loan than it is for me I to know. get a loan. Because you're the business owner, right? Right. Yes, yes. And I'm like, but I pay her paycheck. <laughs> so <laughs> it's all about risk and you know, like you yeah. own the business and it's so, so, so interesting. But you you raise some great points and I want to just hone in on a little bit because you know, historically Oklahoma City you know, for those people out there investing here in the United States, international investors, Oklahoma is a flyover city, right? You no one's going. I want to go to Oklahoma for for my holiday, right? So right. to create to to create, and that also has an effect on housing prices, right? So, and I always talk to people in when they come to the United States and they say, "Well, like the the U.S. housing market," and I kind of scoff because. There's 400, you know, metropolitan statistical areas, MSAs across this country. And within each MSA, like Oklahoma City, there's good parts, there's bad parts, there's north side of the street, there's south side of the street, there's expensive properties, there's, you know, really, really cheap properties. And for you to go in there and, and create a culture um, where you're forcing 
potentially forcing the value of your property through creating a, a culture in Oklahoma City with your friends is huge for and beneficial for you, right? Like as a business yes, owner and yeah. a, as a property owner because historically they've been cheap properties and now that your people are like, oh, this is cool. Oklahoma City is cool. It's got like a thing going on. It's going to be like the next Brooklyn um, <laughs> is is pretty awesome. And um, I just, you know, kudos to you guys and hopefully I wish you guys all the best because uh, it sounds like you, you're crushing it out there. Well, thank you. And I think that that's part of it is my intimate knowledge of what's going down in my city. So it would be really hard for me to advise someone to go into a city that they don't know by the back of their hand and invest. So I know which areas are up and coming and I can buy on the edge of those areas for super cheap, knowing that in the, the long game of this whole thing is buying properties on the edge of historical districts and hoping that those historical districts get you know, bigger and bigger and start to envelop the properties that I've purchased or not even historical districts, but even entertainment districts or artsy districts. Um, so my policy for myself has been to always buy homes that I would be willing to live in myself. And I think that's a huge part of it is that because part of my dream is that maybe I end up leaving Oklahoma City and living in Spain for a year, but maybe Oklahoma City is my home base. And then I come home for six months and then I go somewhere else. And if I happen to have a rental property open, I can just hop right in. Right. And that's where I could live temporarily. Just to give you some of the numbers, because you talked about running your numbers and knowing your numbers earlier, yes. I wanted to share that my very first house I purchased in March of 2011 was for $70,000. And... It's funny because even looking at homes, I've been looking to move out of Oklahoma City, actually, with the current state of affairs and politics. <laughs> like, I'm I'm looking to go west, maybe. Really? Um, and then also with my husband's career, yeah, we're actually looking at Way west. like kind of Silicon Valley and, yeah, mm -hmm, San Francisco area. And so it's funny looking at what I can get in those areas versus what I can get here. I mean, some of these places I'm buying as rental properties for $70,000 in California would be like $2 million homes. 100%. It's it's ridiculous. And that's, it's insane. And, and that's why they're like, I wanted to just, you know, uh, you know, deep dive down onto that, you know, knuckle down. But but the thing is, I think the biggest takeaway piece of advice or, or is that you can see that, you know, path of progress. And that's good for you because you can you can say, okay, I'm going to buy, you know, four properties here for $70,000 and do like a rent vesting type of thing where your rental income will pay, you know, the income of rent if you did move to Silicon Valley for, you know, a period of time. And, you know, you're sort of living net neutral, if that makes sense. So Yeah, well, um, so that's what I wanted to share is that my mortgage, so I typically have to put down between 20 and 25% of a down payment on a house as an investment property. Um, and my mortgage on that $70,000 house is just under $450 a month. And we rent it for $850. And I bet we could even rent it for closer to $1,000 now. I've had some really great tenants in there. So that's another thing is that just treating my tenants really well has been huge in my success with my properties. But I rent it for $850 a month. And it's funny because I was thinking a few years ago, I need to actually read something on investing because half the terms that you're even throwing out, I don't know what they mean. <laughs> and so I thought I should read something on investing. So I get a book and it's talking about how you're lucky if you can even rent something for $100 over the cost of mortgage. And all of my properties have been 
rented out for at least double the mortgage. The house that I lived in that I was blogging about gets the highest rent because it's kind of a famous house on the internet. And what is, and, and how much how much is that? I think that place rents for around 13 or 1400 a month. Right. And so for just to be clear for all those listeners out there at $800 $850 a month you got 450 in mortgage payment. You still have other payments that are going out the door like taxes and insurance and maybe some deferred maintenance. So of right. that 850, what do you think you're really putting in your pocket as cash flow? 150 you know, bucks, 200 bucks a month? We're not putting anything in our pockets from mm. the properties now. And so with investing since 2011, now it's what, 2017, everything that we put into the business goes back into it. And so I I can say that our minimum amount that we want to have in our business checking account for these properties at any given time is $20,000. And so that's enough to pay for the mortgage if the house isn't filled, though typically they're always filled. I think that the longest we've gone without a place having tenants in it has been two to three months. And sometimes that's a blessing because we're able to do some repairs on the place while it's empty. Um, So right now we actually have a little bit of a buffer and that's really great. Sometimes I've thought maybe we should take a little bit of that buffer and buy another home. We've kind of put a standstill on buying more houses because we are thinking about moving out of the state, maybe just gathering money for <laughs> the cost of living anywhere else <laughs> but Oklahoma. <laughs> well, have you thought about, because um, you have, I, I, I take it these eight properties have eight individual mortgages? Yes. Okay. Have you thought about doing a uh, a pooled mortgage, a commercial mortgage, because you have over commercial is defined as f- um, four, five units or more. Um, so you can get uh, loans which encompass you know six or seven properties or eight properties into a portfolio property and and leverage on the entire net worth of that property, like a multifamily. They view it like a multifamily, mm-hmm. uh, which could be an interesting option for you guys uh, if you are thinking of moving and you know moving some capital into California. So just that's just a side note. I'm sure we can talk more about that offline because it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, I'm going to be hollering at you when I move. <laughs> like, what should I do? It's a it's a, a lot of after the 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 recession, uh, this sort of loan program came out where uh, you can sort of group. Um, a small portfolio of single family properties into one loan and it's viewed more as a commercial loan. Uh, and then going back to your your comment you said before about how you're borrowing and you're you know you, you're paying your employee and your employee can get loans but you can't because mm-hmm. you own the business because you it, it probably boils down to the fact that your business is not you know wasn't at the stage two years old and it's got to have you know um, certain amount of credit and blah 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 and we can talk a lot about that but right it's 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 about like seasoning your your LLC essentially that is your business whether it's being boss or braid creative and then right. using that business to leverage and say hey bank I've got capital coming in from this business. It's my, it pays my bills. It pays my employees. I now want to, you know, buy this seventy thousand dollar property, and uh, I only want to put twenty percent down. <laughs> so it's uh, it's pretty pretty awesome stuff. There's a lot of cool things. It sounds like you guys can do out there uh, to get you to get you involved uh, back in. Hopefully, we can see you out here in California. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things you you mentioned when you first started out was that you know. And, and I think this goes back to your being boss podcast because I, I asked Erica as she left the, the house today, I was like, is being boss just for women? And, and she said, no, not really. But 
you made a comment to me about um, that it's real estate investing is a dude's game and how, you know, that and, and you're breaking the mold and you're getting involved in real estate investing and your your po- your podcast is is sort of, you know, focusing on empowering women. Has that always been like a bit of a driving factor for you to make sure that you're educating and, 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 and breaking that mold and, and you know, breaking the norm, the, the, the sort of social norms of, of what we all think about, you know, real estate investing and, and stuff like and business entrepreneurship? Yeah, I mean, it's not something that's at the front of my mind. I'm for sure a feminist, and that's a label I will embrace wholeheartedly. But I don't really think of that as being my driving purpose, you know? And so more than anything, I probably think of it more on a kind of on a granular level. So for example, I was looking at a house to buy and it had a tenant in it and I was looking at it as an investment property. And I asked the tenant, she happened to be there while I was looking at the home. I said, Hey, do you, do you like living here? And she's like, yes, I love this house. And I go, how much are you paying in rent? And she told me, And knowing that if she could purchase that house, she would cut her bills in half. And I could tell that this woman was struggling to make ends meet. And I told her, if you could just buy this house, you know, and I'm probably even speaking from a place of privilege, even suggesting that to her. But like, this is where I see a lot of injustices. And so from this woman telling her, if you could buy this house, you're going to cut your bills in half. Um, and and I saw her kind of tear up. And that moment just made me feel like, ah, I just feel like there is so much stuff that people don't know that they could do to make life easier. Right. And it's a kind of a messed up game and it being a dude's game. I know you're a dude, but like, there is like a lot of like patriarchy involved in property and owning property. And it's some, there's some systemic injustices going way back um, where people weren't allowed to have property. And so, but it's not that long ago that that was a reality. So I, and this is stuff that I don't feel entirely articulate about whenever I start talking about it, but I, I would love for, you know, that woman, whenever I was looking at that home to have the opportunity and to get more help in being able to purchase her own place. And so for my friends, like whenever I'm talking to my friends about real estate and property, I'm constantly advising them. I mean, I have so many people texting me saying, Hey, do you have any property open? I'm looking for something to live in. I'm like, how about you buy a house? Let's talk about that. (laughs) And I think that financial education is so important, right? That's the whole point of why I do this show, why you're educating people on getting out of their side hustle and getting into the creative space. It's, it's about being educated and people are scared because they're not educated, right, on, on whatever it might be. So I, I, I don't know if you have any comments on that. Or, you know, they've been given this false sense of security and that having someone else pay your paycheck is more secure than right, right. making your own money. And I think the same thing comes with owning properties. There's so much fear around what could happen and just kind of being the person in charge. But I wonder how many of your listeners or how many of my friends have rented a place that they've treated better than the landlords have. Right. And so many <laughs> putting money in someone else's bank. So my whole thing is why not put money in my own bank? Like why not 
make that happen for myself. And I think the biggest, uh, how, what's the word? Like the biggest mental block for that, maybe for that lady or for, for your friends who are looking to still rent is like, well, I don't have the down payment. It's like, well, it's actually not that much and you may need to live in a slightly less, na- like nest des- less desirable neighborhood, uh, but you're in the path of progress and in five years time, the equity in the property is going to go up because you just you know mentioned before how you know very, very well where Oklahoma is headed and what suburbs are killing it right now and where everything is, is is hot so i think like that type of advice and it's really awesome that you can bestow that upon people to say you know like you should try and invest here it's only a seventy thousand or a hundred thousand dollar property you can come up with 20 grand to put down and then live in it and it's going to be so much cheaper than paying a thousand dollars a month in, in rent right yeah and if if it's your first time home right. you can you can get away with putting down three percent i mean there is a lot of assistance mm-hmm. out there for people wanting to buy their first home and i think that's something else that people don't know and also with um interest rates being so low right now i was just looking at my spreadsheet and most of my interest rates on my investment properties and this is investment which means that it's a point you know half a point to a point higher than what your primary residence would be are the lowest one is 3.875 percent wow that's lot. And the highest one is 5.5%. Right. That's good. That's, good. That's, that's that's fantastic numbers because that's exactly where you want to be. And I'm assuming they're in fixed mortgages for the 25 yes. years. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big, yeah. Big, big thing for everyone out there. Get fixed mortgages with uh, with uncertainty coming in the future. Make sure all your loans are in in, uh, in in fixed mortgages. So, Kathleen, I really want to be conscious of your time. I know we only got a short period of time with you today, but I love... Uh, you know, asking people to give me their top five investing tips at the end of the show. Are you ready to dive into it? Yes, I'm ready. I'm ready. (laughs) I know you'd have to have a daily habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals as you are the, the, the queen of being boss or just being a boss yourself. What habit do you do practice? I'm sure everyone has their specific things. What's yours? I work out every day. Nice. You do? That's a good Yeah, that's yeah. Good. I work out every day. And it's so funny because I think that um, treating your body really well relates to treating your business well, which mm-hmm. relates to treating your homes well. For me, it's all so connected. And so it starts with my own my own body. So yeah, I'm working out every day. Yeah. Do you, do you do something different every day? Because I've always, I'm a huge, I love my fitness. I'm, I'm, a, I'm six foot two and I'm a big guy. I played rugby for many, many years, but going to the gym all the time gets a little bit boring. And, and after many, many years of doing that, you're like, let's, what's, what's new? What else? Do you, do you get that sort of, um, uh, unenthusiastic about it? Um, no, I, because it's such a discipline. So I lift heavy weights three, three days a week. Um, so like deadlifting and pressing and like real you know, functional movement kind of lifts and presses and things like that hinges. Um, and so I'm building strength three times a week and then I do yoga once a week. And then I do a lot of walking. So it's so funny. People ask me what's the best thing you can do for body composition. <laughs> like go for an hour long walk every single day. And you'll be surprised what happens to your body. But um, I go through phases also every year where I might be boxing for a year. So that was last year. I was boxing a lot. Or this year I might be taking a hip-hop dance class. Or I might be getting really into yoga one year or really into Pilates another year. So aside from the foundation of strength training and walking, I'm doing kind of some fun extracurricular stuff to shake it up a little bit. Nice, nice. Question number two, who is the most influential person in your career to date? 
Wow. You know what? I think probably Dr. Brene Brown. Do you know who that is? No, I don't. Okay, so she did a TED Talk on vulnerability, mm-hmm. and she hired me. I did a book review um, of her book, Daring Greatly, on my blog, and I reviewed her book, and she ended up emailing me saying, I saw the book review. You know, Thank you for that. I'm going on Oprah in a month. Could you help me overhaul my personal brand? And this woman was like a personal hero and someone who I would have <laughs> – at my dinner party, my pretend (laughs) dinner party, board of directors, mentors. And she's emailing me, telling me that she's going on Oprah and needs me to help her. And so I ended up helping her and she's become a great friend and an ongoing client for the past four years. So I've really loved working with her and it was a huge pivotal shift in my business to not only come across her work itself, but then to be working with her. That's awesome. So Dr... Dr. Brene Brown. Brene Brown. Okay, I'll have to check her out on her TED Talk. That sounds – I love TED, (laughs) particularly on NPR. Uh, What is the most influential tool in your business? Being online, I'm sure you'd have to have something that is really, really key. It might be your cell phone. It might be actually a piece of software that helps you run the day-to-day and get things done. Okay, my favorite – I have a few favorites. Um, Asana, it's A-S-A-N-A. It's a project management software tool, which I've never really gotten the hang of um, until using Asana. And so I love that one. I also love FreshBooks Cloud Accounting, which mm-hmm. I use not only in my businesses, but I, I use it for my rental properties and to invoice my tenants. <laughs> you don't outsource <laughs> which, that? <laughs> well, so, okay. So this is a whole thing we didn't get into is that my mother-in-law actually manages our properties. We haven't been able to find a property manager that we love or that treats their tenants as well as we do. So my mother-in-law manages all of that. And so she's the one sending out the invoices in fresh books. <laughs> that, that's, that's awesome. And, you know, management is a hard game. And even in my business in large multifamily, you get to a point where there's frustration. Like, like it's not your property. You rely so heavily on property managers and I've had many, many years experience of this, but it's because it's not their property. They don't take it that seriously. It's like, you know, talking about the rent sh- renting mindset. And so in that, they don't treat the tenants as well as what you think they needed to be ten- to be treated because tenant retention for me is huge as it sounds like it is for you. And taking it in-house is actually not a bad thing. And I think you guys are doing a great job by doing that because you're setting it up as a potential another stream of income if you scale your business, even you know your real estate investing business to larger properties and more properties. She could potentially do it for other people, and because she does such a great job for for you guys, so just yeah. Just, and just you know, as a I know as a creative entrepreneur, I mean, I've had other friends who have properties ask me if she would be willing to freelance, and so I kind of want to push that on her and be like, you should totally do this. Yeah. But I think she's almost doing it for us as a favor. I learned this. through (laughs) trying to help her expand that as a legit business that I don't think it's her favorite thing in the whole world. But I love that she does it for us and she does an amazing job. (laughs) Well, hey, you can always just say to her. I think what the going rate is like 7% or 8% for single family properties. Uh, That's what they were hitting me up for with my $50,000, $60,000 property. So it's uh, it's not bad coin if a bit of a side hustle (laughs) for for your mom. (laughs) Totally, totally. Uh, What has been the biggest failure in your career to date? And what have you learned the most from that failure? Wow. Okay. So I, you mentioned that I'm a serial entrepreneur and I did try 
starting a journalism news site with a friend of mine who's actually a former state senator here in Oklahoma City. And he's, um, you know, very liberal. And I just thought it'd be so cool to create this journalism site with him. But I'm a blogger, not a capital J journalist. And we had a couple of capital J journalists, um, guys on our team and it just did not work. I mean, the, the, the money aspect of it, there was no really good plan for revenue. And I had to do things I hadn't done in 10 years, like designing ad spaces for, you know, potential ad buyers. And I'm not above it by any means, but at the same time, I, <laughs> I kind of am. So it ended up, I got out really fast. I got out, you know, right after we launched, but I remember thinking like, wow, that's the biggest failure. I mean, that was a lot of time that I spent on a project that is going to see no return. So that felt like a huge failure, but also a really good lesson in, um, helping me make decisions about what I invest in moving forward. And so it helped me realize that whenever it comes to doing what I do through Braid Creative and being boss, the common denominator is helping creative entrepreneurs be who they are and make money doing that. And so if I'd asked myself, will this journalism site help creatives be who they are and make money doing what they love? The answer would have been no. Like, yes, it was a cool project with a cool person that I really respected um, and still respect and admire. But it doesn't fit into what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. And, and, and what your calling was, right? That's, that's kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's so interesting. But, you know, you learned from it. And even though you maybe have uh, spun your wheels a little bit, it was still, you know, you're meant to do that if you believe in that sort of stuff, because that then got you more focused on going towards down the path you are right now. Totally. I mean, it's nice to get like failures out of the way. And whenever <laughs> it happened, I felt almost relieved, like, okay, I got my failure out of the way. <laughs> and I'm sure there's going to be more failures uh, along the business. There's, there's, you know, without failures, we don't learn. That's why I always uh, sure. I ask that question because, you know, you can talk about successes till the cows come home. But the fact oh, is, yeah. you know, successes don't, you don't learn anything from success. You're like, yeah, well, successful. Great. Right. <laughs> and I have one house that's kind of a failure and I'm selling it. And oh, I think are? it's because it has just bad, bad mojo. Mm -hmm. I'm selling one of mine as well. Don't worry. I'm getting, can't, can't get, wait to get, can't wait to get rid of it. I'm like, get out of it. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there's been some failures with that house with having to, you know, sue people and oh, wow. garnish bank accounts. And that's not fun. You no, know, that it not. doesn't feel, it, it might feel like a success that I got my money back, but it feels like a failure that it happened in the first place. So I've yeah. certainly had some investing failures as well. And so that brings me to my last question for you out of the top five investing tips is what's the best piece of advice you can give to anyone out there? Not, not only just in real estate, but in, in, in being an entrepreneur to take that next step and, and, and back themselves. I mean, it really is about taking that next smallest step. So it's knowing where you want to go and reverse engineering what the steps you need to take are and taking that first smallest step. So if it's investing in property, your next smallest step might be going and just talking to a loan agent and seeing what you can qualify for and running your numbers and seeing what you can afford. Um, as a creative entrepreneur, if you're wanting to start a podcast, your next smallest step is not to go out and buy your microphone, but to plug in your 
iPhone earbuds into your computer and hit record and start recording your voice talking, right? So it's not about, I think that just too many people let their big dreams paralyze them. And then it all feels out of reach whenever they're looking at the end game. So it really is just about taking that next smallest step. And I feel like that sounds so trite saying it out loud, but it really is the truth. If you want to write a book, you have to write the first sentence. Hundred percent, and I and I think it's it goes back to what it sounds like. You're very you're very organized, and and so am I, and a lot of entrepreneurs are. But you don't all. It's it's taking those micro steps and understanding that it's going to take a lot of micro steps or mini steps to get to that goal, and uh, it's okay that it does that. You know, it doesn't have to happen overnight. Even though I'm a millennial and I want it to happen yesterday, but <laughs> one of the biggest things I'm learning right now in my business is that it's it's taking longer than I anticipated. Okay, so what? You know, totally, you know, and it's it not takes a thing. time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, I think that's the thing that keeps people from investing in their four hundred one ks now. And had I been overwhelmed by the idea of eight properties properties, what, just six years ago, mm-hmm. um, I might not have ever bought my first one. But the thing is, is that time is moving by anyway. So you right. might as well put in just a little bit of work every single day and it's going to start to add up. And it I, really, truly is. And I'm sure just from from you taking action, whether it be in your own creative business or buying real estate, you, you're now at a mental space where you can take bigger action like things that the doors that are opening through the smaller action that you took early on in your career are now opening doors to you know like stuff that you would never have even dreamed of and that's because you took the action in the first place right yeah totally and I think that there's you know something to be said for taking inspired action Mm -hmm. and so I think about that time in the Mexican restaurant where my husband and I were talking about what it could look like to have investment properties and we were so inspired but it took us three years and the reality is going in and talking to a loan agent isn't going to feel inspiring or motivating (laughs) and there's a lot of things about being a creative entrepreneur like yes you're inspired to change the world and to make money doing what you love, but it's not always going to feel super awesome. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to really lean on motivation versus inspiration whenever it comes to taking that next step. And so remembering what motivates you, even whenever you're not feeling super inspired. 100%. And look, Kathleen, I just want to thank you so much for jumping on this show today. You have... We've, we've dived into a lot of things. We didn't dive into anything in specific, but that's why I wanted to leave the show a little bit open because I know you have so much experience on a range of things. Like I'd love to get you back and talk about personal branding because that is such a big thing of mine that I've learned as an entrepreneur, even in real estate, you know, insert business here. It's it's a whatever it is, you've got to have some sort of fundamentals and that's a, that's a topic I'd love to talk to you about. But the biggest takeaway- I would love to chat with you about personal branding anytime, I, truly. I, I'll come I, back on your show anytime. I love it. I love it. nerd <laughs> out on all the things. <laughs> but the biggest thing I wanted to take away from, from today's show is being who you are and understanding how you can create money doing what you love. That was probably my biggest takeaway from today's show. And I, I think that you and your brand and and what you stand for is really inspiring. And I hope everyone out there definitely jumps onto the Being Boss podcast. And one other thing I wanted to add back to that other thing we talked about, about advice is we're in a world now of really easy access to to awesome advice, to other people who are like-minded in meetup groups. That's a really small step you can take by, as you said, plugging in your earphones and listening to Being Boss or listening to my podcast or listening to whatever the hell you're interested in and getting educated. It's not hard. Like there's no such thing as I can't do things anymore, right? It's all at our fingertips. 
Exactly. I well, couldn't agree more. Well, Kathleen, thank you so much for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we will catch up very, very soon, hopefully in uh, what New Orleans at your, at your upcoming boot camp. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Talk to you soon. Bye.